It's been granted to us to suffer. What other good news do you have for me? I'm Lance Leffler, and we'll look at this question today on God Meets the Grind. Okay, everybody's favorite topic today, suffering persecution for your faith. Let's listen to what Christianity's resident expert has to say to the Philippians. Chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. Let's go. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul begins with an exhortation to unity in verse 27. The Philippian church is dealing with opposition, and Paul doesn't want the church to fall apart because of it. Relationships are hard enough. When you add a certain kind of stress to it, like persecution, we tend to recoil and break down. So who were these opponents? Note that Paul's actually concerned that the Philippians will be frightened by them. Anything we can piece together about them is based on really scant evidence. From verse 28, it doesn't seem like these opponents are fellow believers who just have some sort of beef, because Paul talks about their impending destruction. And we know Paul's main trouble when he went to Philippi in Acts chapter 16 was with the Judaizers, who tried to get new Christians to get circumcised and basically become Jewish. If this is who the Philippians are having to deal with, Paul doesn't pull any punches about it, how they're under God's judgment for preaching a different gospel. So that's why in verse 28, he says that the Philippians standing strong in the true gospel will be a clear sign of their opponent's destruction, but of their salvation. The lines are drawn in the sand, Philippians. Maintain your line so that the distinction between the truth and falsehood will be clear. Today, I think the church is facing a slightly different kind of opposition, but this encouragement still applies. This brings us to verse 29. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. If we know anything about Paul, we know he got beaten up, stoned, flogged, thrown in prison, etc. And we sometimes think, well, you know, that was Paul. But here he makes it sound like suffering persecution is part of the package for every believer. Note how he says it has been granted to you that you should suffer. Everything hinges on that word, granted. And when you think about it, that's the best news, isn't it? No, I'm, I'm not saying, yay, we get to suffer. I mean, you should see me when I stub my toe. What I'm saying is this, that in the midst of persecution or suffering of any kind for that matter, I want to know God is still in control. When the bottom drops out of your life, you want to know that God is still in control. And that's what I think Paul's doing here, saying, don't worry, this opposition didn't catch God off guard. He actually granted it. This is a lot to swallow. I remember as a new believer, I came across this quote that said, faith is never learned in comfortable circumstances. I can remember thinking, man, I hope that quote's not true. Suffering would come later for me. But not persecution, really. 
Not biblical-style persecution, anyway. Although this just happened. This is so crazy. I just got mocked on Facebook by members of this pseudo-Old Testament kind of cult for arguing that certain passages in the Hebrew Bible were actually prophecies about Jesus the Messiah. This group mocks Jesus and calls him the New Testament idol. Here's the weird story that the church in America and much of the Western world has lived for decades, a relatively persecution-free existence. In America, the church has actually enjoyed the status of a revered institution, up until today anyway. Most people went to church, or at least belonged to one, and shared a basic Christian worldview. But that has all but vanished. Public service announcement here. Some Christians like to be obnoxious fops. Let's just be clear. If people hate you because you're a jerk, that's not Jesus' fault. So, okay, obnoxious fops aside, this raises a question. If we can establish ourselves in a habit of trying to love our neighbors for Jesus' sake and share the good news of salvation, why would they get mad at that? That is a great question. And I'm not just saying it because I came up with it. I think the answer is that the message of the gospel, even though gospel means good news, is naturally offensive to people. I mean, here's the message. We're sinners. That means we've broken and continue to break God's law. And our sins have separated us from God. And if we don't repent and place our faith in Jesus, we'll perish for eternity. I don't know if you spend much time on atheist websites, but there are some really scathing parodies of the gospel out there. Here's one. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But if you don't believe in him, he'll burn you in hell forever. Now, in polite society, of course we readily admit we're not perfect. Any sophisticated person can see that. But when pressed, here's the weird thing, we're just as quick to proclaim that we're not actually that bad, not sinners. We're like a criminal on trial who pleads sort of guilty. And here's what's worse. When the Bible says that the solution to our sin problem is to surrender our lives by faith to a Jewish carpenter executed on a hillside in Israel 2,000 years ago, the absurdity of it turns to insult which may be why I got mocked for expressing it on Facebook the other day. I think we're going to see the church challenged a lot more, at least that segment of it that's not going to get on board with certain new ethical stances, like the new sexual revolution many in our culture are endorsing and enforcing. We'll be marginalized. We're already seeing this with challenges to certain Christian colleges' ethical stances, Eventually, certain professions will just be off-limits to Bible believers altogether. Churches and Christian colleges will be scrutinized and no doubt censored for what we believe. This is when we need to know that God is still on the throne. His plan for the world hasn't been overthrown by those who oppose Christianity. We come to find out that this is God's way of advancing the kingdom. Just as Paul's being thrown into jail didn't throw a wrench in the gospel's progress, but actually advanced it, So persecution is the church's way of, well, winning by losing, if you will. And this is really crucial to understand. God's ways are very often the opposite of our ways. One of the most subtly mind-blowing passages to me is in the Gospel of John, chapter 12. And I missed this for years. Check this out. When Jesus knows that his arrest is imminent, here's what he says to his disciples. Verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Okay, 
Jesus is going to be glorified. That must be a reference to his resurrection and ascension back to heaven. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He adds this in verses 31 through 33. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. What Jesus was getting at is that he was going to be glorified by ascending the cross. The most humiliating torture device, reserved for the most despised criminals, displayed Jesus as a spectacle before a jeering crowd, naked and beat up. That spectacle quietly overthrew the powers of darkness. That's a paradox. The two things are true, but how can they be? Suffering a criminal's death to bring about the most glorious effect. That struck Christianity's keynote as a movement. That was the victory over sin and death. Now we live out that victory in an equally paradoxical way. Here's another astounding statement found in Acts chapter 5, verse 40. The first followers of Jesus were arrested and beaten, and when they were released, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' name. How about chewing on that for a while? And I find it difficult to be cheery when the internet goes down. So Paul's encouragement to the Philippians rings true for us today. Don't fear because people are opposing you. As long as you're not being a jerk, you're on the right track. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm together in unity. What did he mean, have your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ? We'll get into that in chapter 2 of Philippians. That's next time on God Meets the Grind. 